Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Mile high country. How y'all living? Are you not entertained? Now, we knew it would be a good series. Last night, though, was better than that. Last night was better than good. If you're a Denver fan or you're a two-time MVP Denver center, last night was damn near perfect, at least for much of the night. The Nuggets shot 55% for the game, but for most of the game, it felt like they were shooting damn near 100%. It felt like nearly everything they shot went down. It felt for a while like they couldn't miss. It felt like Jokic was the most unstoppable, dominant force that we have ever seen. Like, I don't know how that dude or that team is supposed to play any better than they did for the first three quarters. However, I definitely have never seen him or them play any better than that. However, I don't know that I've ever seen anybody play better than the way Jokic showed up last night, at least for the better part of those three quarters. I mean, is there anything this guy can't do? Everything he did worked, and the guy did everything. For the better part of three quarters, he was essentially putting together the hoops version of a perfecto. He ended up with 34 points, 21 boards, 14 dimes, 12 of 17 from the field, 3 of 3 from beyond the arc. I mean, essentially just out of control. Basically, his first three quarters could be summed up by the very last play of the third quarter when he knocked in that absurd, fading, buzzer-beating three over AD because, well, because of course he did. Jokic just gets it off in time. It's up. Oh, it's good. Of course it goes in. Jokic from downtown. Anthony Davis just stares at him. The breathtaking performance from McCullough. Jokic continues. 31 points, 19 rebounds, 12 assists. Even the desperation shots go in. Quote, of course it goes in. Of course it goes in. That was pretty much the vibe last night. And that bucket gave Denver 106 points and a 14-point lead through three quarters against the alleged best defensive team left in the playoffs. In fact, it's not even alleged. They are or were. Pretty impressive. Honestly, a little scary. However, before everybody runs in here to crown their asses, we all have to admit that the Nuggets dodged a massive scud in the fourth quarter. Potentially even a fatal scud. I mean that. Because even after all that Denver dominance, it was still somehow a one-possession game in the final minute of the fourth quarter. How is that possible? For the longest time, it looked like a total curb stomping. That somehow, someway, was a one-possession game in the final minute of the fourth. After all of that dominance, it ended up looking for a second like they might not even win. Like somehow, someway, the Lakers might actually rip that game. And if Denver were to come from ahead to choke away that game, that would have been beyond devastating. That was devastating. That probably could have been a game one knockout blow if they lost that game. Because I have no idea how the hell you get up off the mat after a loss like that. And this is what the Lakers do, right? They rip game ones. They rip game ones, and in turn, they rip and then hold the home court. We've already seen them do it twice this postseason. And you'll recall, I said yesterday on the program, when LeBron wins game one, 
He's 29-2 and two overall. I could easily argue that as dominant as they were for much of that game, had the Nuggets let that game get away, that series might already be over. That's how catastrophic that would have been to let that game get away. But they didn't. They were able to dodge that scud, but just barely. Lakers made some really effective adjustments in the second half, specifically guarding Jokic with Rui Achimura instead of AD, letting AD kind of roam around, took a little pressure off him. Meantime, the Nuggets essentially just stopped playing defense. I mean, they literally stopped playing any defense at all in the second half. They stopped playing defense, and then they stopped hitting seemingly every single shot. And then all of a sudden, what time is it? Pucker time. Tight butthole time. Holy crap time. Holy crap, we might actually gag this game time. Made your butthole poker up. It did, didn't it? Sidebar on Achimura. Holy crap, what a player this dude is. What a pickup that was. What an incredible move by Rob Lopolenka at the deadline to rip this guy from the Wizards. Rui for Kendrick Nunn and three second-round picks and a bag of basketballs. Man, that's some business now. Again, I can't say enough about the job that Robert Lopolenka has done since LeCap let him actually do his job. So a ton of credit to... Rui, and a ton of credit to the Lakers for hanging in the fight. You know, normally, when the Lakers lose, they get blown the hell out. In fact, that's kind of NBA playoff basketball right now, right? But that's not what happened. I thought for sure when they're down 20, it's just going to be another one of those Laker games where, all right, they're going to get blown the hell out. We'll have garbage time in the middle of the third quarter, and then Darvin Ham will get his guys some rest. That's not what happened. They hung in. They made adjustments. They found a way back into the game. And then at the end of the game, they actually had a chance. Nearly delivered a game one blow on the road. However, and remember I said yesterday, for the Lakers to win, and I think they can win the series, if LeCap and AD are at the top of their games. And they were. They both played big last night. However, 0.0 credit to LeBron for pulling up and hoisting and bricking yet another three, down three, with 45 seconds left and Jamal Murray guarding him. Dude, LeBrick, are you ever going to stop chucking up threes? Because if you haven't noticed, yeah, dude, you're hardly a laser. My man, how rich is that? In case you haven't noticed, we don't really have any lasers on our team. Actually, you do now. You're just not one of them. If you haven't noticed, there's no lasers in that mirror, big dude. If you haven't noticed, they're not going in when you jack them up. He was 0 for 4 last night. He's shooting 25% from 3 for the playoffs. LeBrick, I know you're a bright dude. I know you're a basketball genius. So I know you know that dad is not good. I know you know that's a terrible decision. A terrible decision. 45 seconds left, and you're settling for and jacking up a three that you have to know has no chance of going in? Dude, he did an amazing job picking on and attacking and abusing and humiliating and, frankly, terrorizing Jamal Murray for most of the second half until that play. 
until the Lakers worked their way all the way back to get within a single possession in the final minute. And that's when LeBrick decided that it was a good time for another LeBrick. We're not sitting here with a bunch of 40-plus career three-point shooting guys. I mean, dude, far be it for me to ever tell somebody like you, the alleged GOAT, what to do and what not to do. I mean, after all, you always make the right basketball play. Except right there. Dude, stop jacking up threes that have no chance of going in. Oh, one more thing, sidebar. Stop wrecking the Space Jam franchise. Dude, get downhill, attack the smaller man and the rack, get fouled, and don't settle for a three that we know you're not going to make. Oh, one more thing. Stop wrecking the Space Jam franchise. And thanks to LeBrick's Brick, Denver survives. Great game to start a great series. Yesterday I called Joker the best player in the world, and last night you saw why. This guy's had his doubters, he's had his critics, and he's shutting them all the hell up. He's letting his play do the talking. Right now his play is freaking screaming, which is why after the game, former Laker KCP said there really is only one difference, just one difference between Jokic and Braun. I feel like the only difference is that you know, Braun can jump higher than Jokic. <laughs> I think that's the only difference that I can see. Um, like I, I just love playing with Jokic, man. Willing passer, you know, just, just dominant big man down there, you know, and, and just seeing him do what he do, uh, you know, get everybody else going as well. He's not wrong. Clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. You want beef, pure and simple. Where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper Beef Jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper Beef Jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for its relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest. It goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you do not see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper or what's your beef? He is not wrong. I, I've never seen a guy. Yeah, I know. Breaking news. This just in. I've never seen another guy like Jokic and what he can do at that size. But the thing is, it's also not about him. And in some ways, it's not about him at all. Like, he's the one that gets everybody else going. He can get whatever he wants, whenever he wants, but he gets everybody else going. He's the one that makes the offense work. He elevates everybody else. Like, if LeBron has essentially perfected the point forward role, Jokic is perfecting the point center. Hell, at this point, he's pretty much the best point guard in the league. At 7-1. So I get the parallel. I also have issues with the parallel. And I'll get to that in a second. But first, here is Jokic's reaction to KCP. Nicole, like KCP said the only difference between you and LeBron is that he can jump higher than you. 
do you feel like your games are similar? Uh, that's a really offensive. <laughs> uh, I'm joking. I mean, to be compared with the one of the best ever uh, or the best ever, I think it's really cool. It's really cool, but uh, I don't know. I think we don't have a similar game. He's a maybe we have a, like a similar global game. If that makes any sense, we affect the game in different ways. But he's he's a really good player. I love this dude. If you cannot tell, I am joking. My man, you were right the first time. It actually is offensive. I'm offended on your behalf because that's not the only difference. LeBron can't make a three. Jokic can't jump, but LeBrick can't shoot, at least not from long distance. Joker is shooting 51% from three. Is that any good? 51% from beyond the arc in the playoffs, which is better than twice as good as LeBrick. Last night, Joker was 100% better than LeBrick from the three because he didn't miss one and LeBrick didn't make one. That's what makes the Joker the best player in the series and the best player in the world right now, and last night only reinforced it. But it also reinforced that Denver is going to need this guy to show up that big three more times to actually win this series. Yeah, on the flip side of that, how about the Lakers losing a game where AD goes off for 40 and LeBron just missed a triple-double? I mean, I said yesterday, they'll win the series if those two are at their best, and they were, except when LeBrick was settling for ill-fated threes at the end of the game. All I can say is, dude, had to be gassed out. To settle for that, and instead of attacking the smaller man, getting to the rack, getting fouled, I mean, that's not, quote, the right basketball play. But Lakers showed a lot of heart, a lot of grit. They hung in. Thinking you had already won a boat race and then just quitting on the defensive end against a Laker team that doesn't quit is a recipe for a freaking disaster. And they just did avoid it. The Nuggets are fortunate that did not bite them in the ass because you just know that when they didn't choke the Lakers out and the Lakers still hung around, like around 10 or so, they'd make their run, and they did. So, finally, that brings us right back to where we started, right? The series is awesome. These margins are razor thin. It is a coin flip series. And I'm already counting down the hours until game two tomorrow night. Remember when I said yesterday it was too close to call me? And that I had not yet gotten down? Well, I did get down right before tip. Went all punk with it. Hit the nuggets on the money line right before the tip. So thank you very much, fellas. I needed that one almost as much as you did. Hey, can you shoot better than 100%? Because that's what it felt like the nuggets were doing last night for a long part of that game. Like the altitude makes the air hard to breathe, but does it make the ball always go in the hoop? Of course it goes in. Credit to Denver. They took a good shot from the Lakers in the fourth. They survived. A real good shot. You know, like, I don't know, a picketball, pickleball racket to the forehead type of shot. And they still took game one. You knew Mike Malone was not going to let them lose that game. Hey, 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 hey. You hear that? Do you hear that? No, listen closely. You hear that? My mic probably is not picking it up. If I open the windows in the studio, you can still hear the collective moans from Laker fan as LeBron put up that wide open three to tie the game. 
think I heard V and the Beast screaming from my house. Bad idea. Bad shot. Bad shot selection. Hey, believe it or not, the goat's not perfect. That was a perfectly horrible decision. Discover credit cards do something pretty awesome. At the end of your first year, they automatically double all the cash back that you've earned. That's right. Everything you have earned doubled. All the cash back from eating at your favorite restaurant doubled. All the cash back from that trip where you sort of learned to snowboard also doubled. And the best part, you don't have to do anything ridiculous to get it. Discover does it automatically. Seriously, though. See terms and check it out for yourself at discover.com slash match. My guest is Kevin Millar. Kevin, my man, it's been a minute. How you doing, dude? Jimmy, how you doing, brother? Uh, Kevin, I'm so good. How about you? How you living? Well, we're in Beantown. It's nice and always nice to get back to Boston. Last couple nights, it was about 80 degrees. The ball was flying out. Fenway Park, it never disappoints. Hey, Kevin, what's it like for you personally when you return to Boston? You know what? It's, it, it truly is amazing. And when I say that, because I wasn't a superstar, right? I'm not, I'm not Ken Griffey Jr. or Manny Ramirez, Big Poppy. And that is the unique part about this town. 1 through 25 on that roster – they love you. And that 2004 team, the stories daily that you get, thank you so much, my grandfather, my grandmother, my dad, my mom. And that makes you happy because it's going to be 20 years next year. And, uh, you know, I feel like it's six, Jimmy, but I'm telling you, 20 years are a long time. So next year's the anniversary. Kevin, that's incredible, right? Like, I, I hate to be this guy, and I don't want to get sucked into this, and I'm trying to always look forward and not look back. But, man, where did 20 years go? Is there any part of you that feels like, are you kidding me? That was 20 years ago? Like, I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about how I was on this show talking about you all when you did that. Does it feel like 20 years to you? No, that's why I'm like, Al's core is the manager. I'm sitting in the office. I mean, I feel like I want to take a few swings in the cage, but then you realize, like, who's going to run for you? I can hit a few <laughs> out probably tomorrow. Yeah, okay, great, but... Then you try to move a 51-year-old body. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm just a dad. Sit down. I got it. Just tell all your little stories. But 20 years, Jimmy, it's crazy. <laughs> it's so great. Kevin Millar is joining us. Hey, Kevin, so let me get your thoughts on this. It's been a couple of days. But going back to Aaron Judge, I want you to help educate everybody listening right now. He says he was only looking into the dugout right before he went deep for a second time against the Blue Jays on Monday. Can you lay out exactly what was going on? Did he do anything wrong? And why was he looking into the dugout? He says he was trying to get guys to stop chirping. Are you buying that? No, so this is a situation. So I will say this. Now, we explained a little bit last night on the Nesson broadcast, and you got dudes chirping all the time, and you got pitchers popping off. There was an incident where Aaron Boone, low, low strike, got thrown out. Dudes are barking. And I will say the Toronto Stadium dugout to home plate is probably one of the closer places, so it is like echoey, even though that stadium's very loud. But you can hear a lot of stuff. At that point when you are – hitting, and I'm sure Judge doesn't want another bad call against him. Yeah, you, you could fish eye over there. This is my thing. You better be on point and know exactly if you're going to accuse somebody of cheating. Aaron Judge is a face of baseball, a tremendous human being, classier than class, kind of like the next little here's your handoff from Derek Jeter. Like, has anybody ever accused of Derek Jeter cheating? Of course not. It kind of feels like you'd be yelling at Santa Claus. And so that's where I just – when we say things, and yeah, it's an obvious thing to question, oh, my God, what was Aaron Judge's eyes doing? But it wasn't peeking down, Jim. So that's the only thing. To get location, to look down at the catcher, 
is a way different thing than looking off. I mean, he's hit a million home runs. He hit one last night as I stayed right on the pitcher. So my point is, Aaron Judge is 6'7", 305 pounds of pure class and muscle. He doesn't need to cheat. A guy like me, I need a location. I need, I need to know the signs. If you got a gym, give me the signs. Let me know he's throwing a breaking ball. I don't have a toolbox. Aaron Judge, I think it's just we're, we're searching, right? We're trying to figure it all out, but i got to agree with what he said, and that's all I'm going by. Kevin Millar joining us. Kevin, help me with this. What constitutes cheating? For instance, him fish-eyeing to the dugout for whatever reason, unless there's like an electronic device involved, that's not cheating. Even if he looks back at the catcher, like that might be really bad form and that might be a violation of the code, but is it technically cheating? Like in this case, what is cheating? Yeah, I I think the main thing is is once the catchers, that's what I'm saying, you're exactly right. The catcher's job is to set up late. We've had catchers. I remember Mike Piazza used to kind of give a fastball in, and you could feel him come in if it's 0-2 or 1-2. And he sets up early. Okay, great. So now they're probably going to pound you in with two strikes. That's part of the game. You feel that as the hitter. I was a guest hitter. It's a cat-and-mouse game. They're throwing soft. They're trying to get you to get hard. They're throwing a soft. They're trying to throw hard. That's the teeter-totter game. So part of that is not cheating. That's just instinctive stuff that you're trying to any kind of advantage. And it's your job to protect that. That's why we give multiple signs at second base and multiple signs from the catcher. Now you got the, the pitch come and all this stuff. What did Aaron Judge do wrong? You're not, your, your eyes have to stay. There's no rule. Your eyes have to stay on the pitcher. I, I didn't see that rule this year. You can't fish eye the first row of the dugout either. I mean, how many times were, you know, we're, we're fish eyeing the stands? So he wasn't cheating. And, and then I just think it's a little reckless when these things come out without any evidence other than his eyes moved. Exactly right. Kevin Millard joining us. The only issue I had, Kevin, with the whole thing was him saying afterwards, I'm just trying to get the guys to stop chirping, all right? I'm trying to do work here. It's a six-run game. But then again, what was he going to say, right? Like, I would say, you know what he should have said? What he should have said was, I don't know what he should have (laughs) said. Right? It's one of those things, like, what can he say? I mean, it's already been talked about. He, He went deep. And the best part about this whole thing is he went deep last night and went deep, deeper dead center. And his eyes stayed right in the pitcher. It's the same thing. This guy's good. This guy's great. He's a good person. And I think we got to start with the integrity of the person. Like, there's no reputation. If you had a reputation, it's different. It's Aaron Judge, for Christ's sakes. This guy's awesome. Yeah, all right. So you did a great job of breaking that down. I appreciate that, too. Kevin Millar is joining us. Kevin, what about the Yankees overall? Like, where does that leave them? They did not get off to the start that they had hoped for. Now, we know it's a long, long season, but we are at the quarter pole. Are they just banged up and kind of scuffling, or is this who they are? The Yanks? Yes. Yeah, I, I think that division's tough. It really is. Red Sox are three games over 500, and they're in last place. They'd be almost leading the Central, right, if they were in the Central. and all, You know, Baltimore's not fake good. Brandon Hyde has those guys playing, and they pitch. They're a lot like the Seattle Mariners. Like, they pitch, and they're going to be there all year because of that. You know, the Blue Jays score runs. The Yankees, they've had injuries just like everybody else. I mean, the Mets, they lost 80% of their, their, their starting rotation. We're like, oh, my God, the sky is falling. Buck Showalter, the guys can't get a hit with extra, you know, with runners on scoring position in the Padres scene. But the Yankees are the Yankees. They got Judge back. They'll get Stanton back. Who knows how long. Donaldson will be back. It's like once you start piecing this team together, they're a better lineup with LeMahieu and Judge, and Stanton, and Donaldson, and you kind of get all these guys back, and then that's who they are, right? Garrett Cole's been unbelievable this year. Uh, it, it, I, don't, I, don't, 
I don't have a problem with where they're at right now in May. We talked about them in last place last week, and then all of a sudden they're bumped up to third place. Like, this division's tough. We'll just have to see, you know, who's real in that division for the long term, and I, I wouldn't bet against the Yankees. Kevin Millar joining me for a few more moments. Kevin, you're a SoCal native, so you know where I'm going with this. I am smack dab right now in between San Diego and Los Angeles. Padres had great, great expectations coming in. They had that amazing run last season. In the postseason, they add Xander Bogarts. Expectations are soaring, but they were swept by L.A. over the weekend. They're still hovering around 500. Why can't they seem to get it going? I think it's more than just going out and signing a bunch of great names and great players with big contracts. Like this game, you're going to have to grind out stuff. And right now, I don't think they're grinding out stuff. I think there's a lot of names. There's a lot of fantasy baseball names. There's a lot of huge contracts with great players. But now, chemistry aspect of it. If Jim Rome gets traded to the Padres and Kevin Millar doesn't say, hey, bro, great to see you. Almost like Josh Hader last year, right? Gets traded over like he kind of like – Stuttered a little bit, but like you, you got to find out who, who you can go eat lunch with. You know, who you going to take a shower with? Who are your boys? Like, it takes time to develop this chemistry, right? And Xander Bogarts, one of my favorite players, comes in, you know, got up to a great start, but like then there was no Juan Soto going at that time. Then he kind of got a little hot. Manny Machado, you can flip his baseball card, he's going to hit. But it's just they haven't figured out runners in scoring position. Can't get a hit. Now, that'll change because the second half, they'll hit 380 with the runners. But early on, that's all we have to go. I, I can't put my finger on it other than I know Bob Melvin scratched his head, and he just needs guys to run. If you start running, respect 90 feet, hustle, play harder when you're doing bad, then I think it's like masked a little bit more your failures. Got a hell of a manager in that dugout. Kevin, explain if you could chemistry. That's like one of the weirdest things, right? It's kind of like it's hard to explain. You know it when you see it. Anytime I hear somebody say it doesn't really matter that much, tells me that they don't have it. That's why they're saying that. But how does it translate between the lines? Why is it so important, and how does it work, chemistry? It's, it's like you coming to work every day and having your little crew, which is your team, and there's two dudes that are a little bit, I call it eh that aren't pulling on the same rope, meaning that they're not really pulling for you or they're not pulling for the show or they're not doing their job. We all have a job to do, right? If you're a hitter, you give a quality play to parents. If you're a pitcher, I need you to throw strikes and work the ball down. If you're a reliever, I need you to come in and pound the zone. If you're a defender, you got to catch the baseball. So we all have a job to do. When there's dudes on that team that's not doing their job or don't care about doing their job, not everybody loves baseball. That's what always frustrated me. Like, I live, sleep, drink. Ate it, loved it, wanted it all the time. Some guys are just really good at baseball, right? But they don't love it. So if you run into that, it's tough. It's tough. Our 04 team was a bunch of baseball players. We weren't the best players. We were the best team, I always say. Billy Miller, Orlando Cabrera, Mark Bellhorn, and Kevin Millar does not match up with Alex Rodriguez, Derek Jeter, Soriano, Jason Giambi. It doesn't make sense. Preach. But that's on paper. So that's the difference of chemistry. I don't know if that's five games a year, and I don't know if it's 15 games a year. But chemistry matters because when you go to work in any job or any sport, if you've got a group of guys that care about each other, that will and that power for me to pull against you and you pull against me goes a long way when you're two for 24 and you're in my, you know, the, the hotel room or the suite or go to Veritex suite. You got, you know, you're in your underwear and you've got pizza boxes going and it may be a, a cocktail and you're trying to figure out your teammate's swing. That's chemistry. If you don't have that and you got 16 different cabs going off, 
that's just good players, and we'll see what happens. Man, I'm so glad I asked you that question. I love that response. That is absolutely perfect. Hey, Kevin, it's, is it not one of the worst-kept secrets ever? It's not just baseball. It's every single sport. I'm not saying that a lot of guys don't love the game, but some guys don't love the game, right? They love the life. They love what the game can do for them. They're talented. Not everybody loves the game. It's exactly right. Money and fame change a person. That's it. Because you know when you were a kid, I know when I was a kid hitting wolf balls and, and, and saying I was Pedro Guerrero when I was a young kid and I wanted to hit like Pedro Guerrero in high school. What changes other than, ah, now I'm rich, now I'm in the big leagues, now I got better cars, now I can go head down in the dugout because the fans want my autograph, now I'm way too cool to sign now, right? I can't even give a kid knuckles because I'm just too cool. I've got all my medallions on, i got my purses, my Louis Vuittons, my financial advisor, my attorney. Bro, stop. Put your hat on backwards, grab a deck of cards, Get in the clubhouse. Start messing around with the boys. The problem is everybody's on their phones and their devices and are looking down. And I'm like, bro, they, they're worried about 1,500 likes, Jimmy, than, 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 than boys club. I call it boys club. You walk in with a bad shirt, I'm getting on you. If I walk in with a bad shirt, you're getting on me. We're laughing. We're playing skits in the shower. Now you walk in, it's quiet. People are looking at their phones. They're looking at Instagram and Twitter and all the stuff that doesn't matter, they've got vests on in the cages, and they're trying to worry about their hips, movements, and all this stuff. Sometimes you've got to grab your privates, dig in on that batter's box, and you've got Roger Clemens out there, seven-time Cy Young, that I shouldn't be on the same field as because I was an undrafted dude out of Los Angeles City Junior College, but I've got to figure out how to create a mentality that I'm better than him. And that's part about, you know, when I say grab your privates and get in there and just go. Sometimes all these numbers and stuff and stuff, Means nothing. I need some dudes. Need some dudes. Kevin Millar joining us. Hey, you might have been that guy out of L.A. City College, Kevin, but you did win a CIF championship at University High School. Am I right? Yes. Bell High School. Marvin Bernard was a center fielder. Played a little bit with the San Fran Giants. But, yes, 1988. Dude, listen, one last thought. You mentioned about guys in 16 different cars. Kevin, that Camaro, I'm imagining it's a Camaro in your Twitter bio is unbelievable, dude. Tell me about that rig, and what do you have under the hood in that thing? I've always loved, like, the classic. I, I've always, my budget's always been that, like, sixty to 80000 right? I've never been the guy to go out and buy a $300,000 Ferrari. I'm not that guy. So I love, like, the, the 71 K5 Blazers, you know, and then that was a 67 Camaro, had a 350 in it. But it was like a 10-footer, looks awesome from 10 feet, wasn't perfect. You know, you can keep going. They're like starters kits, right? You can make the interior look like Barrett Jackson, and next thing you know, you can look up, and you can have 200 grand in it. But that was a 67 Camaro. My old teammate, John Roscos, played the Marlies many years, who's a sheriff now up there in uh, New Mexico. But he built that for me. I had about 35000 bucks in it. And, Romy, I'm telling you, more, more talks and conversation at the gas station, that, that makes it fun. Because those 67 to 69 Camaro is always my favorite. Oh, hell yes, Kevin. What about how important is the paint? I'm just looking at the avatar or the bio. The paint is sick. Dude, how nice is that paint? How important, when, you, when you're putting together a car like that and you're budgeting for a car like that, how important is the paint? The paint's awesome, right? You got you to you have, that's one place you can't kind of cheap right. on it, right? You, you can cheapen the, the inside. You put a little system on the you know, leather, but your paint's got to be nice. Guy out of Austin, Texas did it, but that midnight blue, it's always which color. I love the, you know, silvers are awesome, you know, like the old, what's, what's the, the, the Eleanor, uh, gone in 60 seconds car, you know, it, that color with the black stripes is awesome. But 
I went with the midnight blue and the gray stripes, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. Unfortunately, I don't have that anymore. Oh. So now, yeah. So now, but I'm but I'm in the process of just kind of sniffing out some stuff because I need I need it back. One last thought. So you you had that thing chromed up. Where are you coming out on chrome? Is chrome still a thing? Is chrome still in? I was always a big fan of chrome. You like the black rims now. You like chrome. Where are you coming out on the wheels? Yeah, I'm not. I, I am now. I've, I've come out now because I understand. Like you know, you get a truck, black wheels, black truck. Got it. But I was always a chrome guy, especially in those classic cars. Like, there's nothing like I get the matte black type wraps, and you see all these kind of things. And there's a coolness to that. But those those old classic cars, they had the chrome stuff. You know, it, it's just the, the chrome deep dish. You got a little, little little lip inside that wheel, and there's nothing better than some thin little tires on those things. And you get a little smoke going. It's fun. I see you working, dude. I absolutely see you working. Kevin Millar, MLB Network Analyst, co-host of Intentional Talk. You want to make sure you watch that weekdays, 5 p.m. Eastern. And, again, MLB Network is going to feature the Red Sox and Mariners tonight at 7 p.m. CC Sabathia on the call. Kevin's in Boston. My guy, Kevin, so good to have you back. Great hearing your voice. Great to get caught up. Appreciate you, dude. Thank you very much. Jimmy, always fun, man. Big fan, brother. Guys, keep yourself tight and feeling confident with new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant, reformulated with 72-hour sweat and odor protection and one-quarter moisturizing cream. Stop worrying about your underarms so you can be present for the moments that matter. Do not let underarm insecurities keep you at arm's distance from the ones you care about. Buy new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant with 72-hour sweat and odor protection wherever personal care products are sold. Speaking of John Morant, I got to be honest, right when I thought that that situation involving John Morant could not get any more dumb or any dumber than it is, it did. It's already, to me, one of the dumber things ever. What we went through two months ago was already, to me, to me, unbelievably dumb and reckless and immature, especially given the state of affairs in this country right now especially given how many mass killings there are right now. And no, I'm not saying that I'm coming for the guy's gun. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, given what he went through a couple of months ago, what it cost him in terms of games suspended, what it cost him in terms of money, what it cost him in terms of reputation, what it cost him in terms of sponsorships and relationships— The fact that this guy did it again, to me, is one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. So the question is not what I think, but what does the commissioner think? What does Adam Silver think about this? Look, I'm not trying to get all over commissioner ears here, but how else am I supposed to react to this quote that he dropped on the ESPN broadcast of the draft lottery yesterday? Here's what the commissioner said. Honestly, I was shocked when I saw this weekend that video. Now, we're in the process of investigating it, um, and we'll figure out exactly what happened to the best we can then. It's, again, it's the video's a bit grainy and all that, but I'm assuming the worst, you know, and, uh, but, but we'll, fi- we'll figure out, you know, exactly what happened there. You were shocked? Did you say you were shocked? Is that what I heard? Honestly, I was shocked. My hearing may not be as good as yours, Commissioner. But what do you mean you were shocked? Honestly, I was shocked. Shocked. Shocked that the out-of-control superstar on the Grizzlies, who did this very thing two months ago, did it again. That's what you consider shocking.
If by shocking you mean predictable, then I agree. That was incredibly shocking. And if you really are shocked and you're not lying out your ears, you're the only one. Because there really was nothing shocking about that. Or frankly, even surprising. Unfathomably stupid, of course. Frustrating as hell, absolutely. But shocking? Come on, dude. And how about, quote, we'll figure out exactly what happened there. We'll, fi- we'll figure out. What's to figure out? Where's the gigantic mystery in this? He flashed a gun on social media just like he did two months ago. There. You're welcome. I figured that out for you. Don't make me call you Dumbo, Dumbo. And evidently that bold slap on the wrist didn't do much either, right? Evidently your little suspension and your little pep talk did not guide Jaw to the light or have any impact on the dude whatsoever. Jaw seems to care as much about Ears' advice as he does his lucrative endorsement deals and NBA future, which is to suggest really not much at all. But hold on, it's about to get even more dumb. It's about to get even dumber, if that's even possible. Because during the game last night, Jaw, or Jaw's people, or Jaw's agent, definitely not Jaw himself, but somebody put out a fresh Jaw statement. Because that's really what we needed, another statement. In a world of hollow, meaningless, ghost-written statements, this one is one of the more hollow, meaningless statements ever. Quote, I know I've disappointed a lot of people who have supported me. This is a journey, and I recognize there is more work to do. My words may not mean much right now, but I take full accountability for my actions. I'm committed to continuing to work on myself. End of quote. Let me be very clear about this, Jaw. Your words? Your words mean nothing right now. It's not that they don't mean much. It's that they're worthless. Your words mean so little that releasing another garbage statement like this and trying to hide it behind a Western Conference Finals Game 1 on the night of the draft speaks way louder than anything that anybody wrote for you you may have said in that statement. And it says the same thing that Saturday's IG Live said. It says, I really don't give a damn. I really do not give a damn. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I don't give a damn. Sorry, not sorry. I'm not working on bleep. I'm not changing bleep. For who? For what? Why should I? What are you going to do? What are the Grizzlies going to do? What are you going to do, ears? So, Commissioner, when you get over your alleged shock, what are you going to do? Are you going to swing the hammer? Actually, are you going to actually swing the hammer this time? Like, for real. And then if you do actually swing the hammer, then what happens? Then does the NFLPA come in and push back hard? Hey, you want to swing the hammer? I got one for you. You know what you do? You know, NBA, excuse me, NBA, PA. What, you know what you should do? You want to have a deterrent? Make this guy play back-to-backs. How about that? You never see him. Man, he'll, he'll erase the app, every app on his phone. 
Make him play every single game of a road trip. Then. Then we'll see. So that's why I think I know exactly what's coming next from the clones. I know you clones. I know what you're going to do. There's nothing I can do to stop it, especially after Commissioner Ears expressed his, quote, shock, especially after Jaw allegedly pushed out that statement. As I mentioned, right around the start of game one of the Western Conference Finals and the night of the draft lottery, I know, clones, go ahead. I can't stop it. You're going to gloss him Jaw Moron, Jaw Warrant, my personal favorite, Jaw Wick. My other personal favorite, compliments of Kwame, NBA Dumb Boy. I've heard of NBA Young Boy, but you NBA Dumb Boy. I'm not messing with Kwame. I don't want any of his smoke. I've said that already. Thing is, for once, I'm not going to get in the way, you clones. Go ahead. Let it rip. Do what you want. I'm not going to tell you not to do it. Because at this point, he deserves it. And before you come up in here and say, what, what? He didn't break any law. I'm not saying he did. I'm not saying he broke the law. I'm not saying he needs to go to jail. I'm not saying he can't own a gun. I'm saying the league made it very, very clear how they felt about this. And frankly, I think going on social media and waving a gun right around now is pretty tone deaf. Given what's going on and how many senseless killings there have been, it's not a very good idea, right? Can we not agree on that? But the league made it very clear. This is not good for business. This is not the image we want to project. This is not okay. They made that very clear. All right, so everybody's got to answer to somebody, right? Or, or maybe you're a certain NBA player saying, no, I don't. I don't have to answer to Jack. I don't have to answer to anybody. I'm going to do what the hell I want. That's kind of the vibe he's throwing off. When the commissioner is saying, hey, John, listen, this is not okay. This is not good. This is bad for optics. This is bad for imaging. This is bad for business. Your personal brand, the team brand, our brand, we can't have you doing this, all right? This is why we're going to suspend you for eight games. Oh, and you didn't make the all-NBA team, so that's going to cost you $40 million. My man, take a step back. Think about what's going on here. All right, I get it. I get it. I'm dealing with stress. I have pressure. I'm going to get some help. It's a process. I understand. I'm sorry. And then he goes out and he does it again two months later. So sorry, not sorry. We'll, fi- we'll figure out, you know, exactly what happened there. What do you mean we'll figure out exactly what happened here? He went out. He turned his phone around. He had a gun. And he went on Instagram Live. You're welcome, ears. Honestly, Maybe we'll figure shocked. out exactly what happened here. You know what happened here? The same thing that happened two months earlier. Yeah, one more thing about this. If you know that the league is going to be coming for you because they don't approve of that behavior, another reason not to do it. You're the face of a franchise. They can't win without you. Hell, they couldn't win with you. So if availability is your best ability, don't be doing things like that. Because if it was eight games before and it didn't take, you know it's going to be double or triple or quadruple that this time. So what's the justification? What what would happen if this 23-year-old superstar got banned not for eight games, not for 20 games, 
not for half a season, but what would happen? Imagine if he banned Mr. Morant for life. I am banning Mr. Sterling for life. 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 Then what? It's happened before. I wonder how many times he has to go on Instagram Live before he does get banned for life. For life. life. Shocked. Life. Life. It's like how many Game 7s will it take for Doc to lose before he gets fired? How many times would John Moran have to go on Instagram li- Live to get banned for life? For life. For life. For life. Shocked. Dan in Michigan. Dan, what's up? How are you? <laughs> Romy, how are you? Good, dude. How about you? I'm good, and congratulations on the graduation. Thank you very um, much. But <laughs> I cannot believe it. I mean, this when are these guys going to grow up? We need a little bit of some veteran love, some, some, some veterans to help out these young guys. You know, we tank, and then we fall out. You know, I just – I'm not trying to get the conspiracies going, you know, but, I mean, there's, there's got to be something cooking over there in that draft, that draft room because how do you fall out? And, you know, and then it's just, it's embarrassing. And I just, I don't know what they're going to do to fix it, but we have some young talent that always seems to get hurt. We need some older heads to help out these young guys. And I just, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm less speechless, but thank you for the time. All right. You got it, Dan. Appreciate it. Uh, I'm not really sure where he was going with that. He's like, it's got to grow up. What? You mean the ping pong balls? Oh, who has to grow up? The envelopes? Man, those damn envelopes have to mature. Can't be having this. I I can't have the envelopes on the big stage not show up and do their job. I need some veteran envelope leadership. I need some envelopes that will lead from the front. It's embarrassing. Huge night there last night. We go to Dean in San Antonio. Dean, what's going on? Hey, Jimmy. How you doing? Long time listener, man. Good. Yeah, so What's I just up? want to talk about loyalty, and uh, I think the big thing for me is, you know, we, we groomed Kawhi, you know, saw him leave. We suffered through some really, really rough years, and everyone's glossing over Pop. You know, we got Doc, we're talking about Ty Lue, and, and Pop has is, is stayed. He's stayed here, man. So it's time, War the Spurs, reinventing the wheel, War dancing with the girl, er, Pop, that brought you, and uh, I'm out. One plus one equals what? It equals Gino in San Antonio. We go there right now. <laughs> Yo, Gino, what's up? Oh, Romy, life is so good, my man. Life is just so good. This is what happens when you're just living right, just clean living down here in San Antonio. Number one draft picks in years when it matters just come rolling our way. You know, and as far as uh, your take last segment about someone from Detroit watching them get stabbed in the heart, come on, Romy. Getting stabbed in the heart for somebody from Detroit, that's just like getting Botox for somebody from Los Angeles. They're used to it. That wasn't that big of a deal for them. And did I hear you say that Fringies love San Antonio, bro? Let's be straight. I'm going to call. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and, you know, take care of my own here. Nobody really loves San Antonio. Other than the Spurs and Rolando's Super Tacos, there's not a lot to love here. But at least Wimbiyama, he's coming here. And uh, he was spared the fate, the ignominy of going to Houston, the armpit of Texas. I felt so bad for that dude, the very thought that he might end up in Houston. Oh, my God, where Andy Persprint goes to die. 
San Antonio is like the French Riviera compared to that mess over there. But, Romy, did I or did I not in my last call to this very show say that every Spurs loss this year feels like a win because of Wimby Yama? I did. I'm going to go ahead and answer that question for you. I did say that. I was correct. And, you know, I know I've heard a lot of these uh, people uh, pontificating, saying, yeah, but who's he going to play within the Spurs? The Spurs are talentless. Listen, that is nothing could be farther from the truth. Think about how bad Pop was trying to tank, and they barely lost half of the games that they lost. They had to actually fight to lose a lot of those games. The future is so bright. I can't believe it. And not just with the Spurs. The Spurs got Wimbiyama. The future's awesome. The Longhorns got Arch Manning. I'm loving the upcoming season potential. And Jerry Jones cannot live much longer. So the Cowboys, the future is so good. How about them Longhorns? How about them Cowboys? Go, Spurs, go! Nice job, Chino. Hey, Detroit, you got off easy. You got off easy. Mark, what's going on? Hi. Hey, uh, Gino, can we just call that your smack-off call now, man? Like, you're not getting on the air June 30th. Do us a favor. You, Silk, the other has-beens, please don't clog up a line for guys that matter, man. We'll hear from you on the Stuck Nut After Show or the Woodscoves. You can talk about the glory days there, man. Jimmy, it's been a minute. It's season. I got to tell you, as the quintessential Michigan man in the jungle, which makes me the most important Michigan man in the country, to see another one of my beloved Detroit franchises let Lucy line the football up, only to let Charlie Brown get kicked out of the way at the last second, it's not just that the Pistons missed out on the number one pick for a generational player. It's the fact that the worst possible outcome for the Pistons felt like a certainty coming, man. This was Barry Sanders and Megatron retiring in their prime. This is Torrey Hunter flying over the wall at Fenway as Big Poppy peacocks around the bases to go to the World Series. This is the Penguins without Sidney Crosby stealing Game 7 from the Red Wings. This is Caleb in Green Bay sitting at Chili's waiting for a smoke show he gave his credit card to, only to realize he's been catfished again. Check that. You know what? No one wants that dude's life. No one's stealing his identity. Better example, this is Mark in Boston having the call of his life lined up only to have his phone line go out on the most important show on the most important day of the year. So, yeah, I'm a little pissed off. There isn't a damn good thing to be pumped up about about Detroit sports. I'm a line worker at the factory of sadness, Jim. Congrats, San Antonio. Dude, you got over the hump. Congrats. And, Jimmy, look, I get it. It's season. I don't have the authority to announce it's smack-off season. Only the host can do that, you self-important D-bags. But here's what I know. I've got a landline now. I've got some takes. They don't suck. And I'll be there on June 30th, baby. Peace. Atta boy, Mark in Boston, rack him. Let's go back to the phones. We go to Cleveland, Matt in C-Town. Hey, Matt, what's up? How are you? Mr. Rome, it is uh, truly an honor to talk to you finally, man. I've been listening uh, to you since the, since the 90s or so. Normally, I'm cool just, just listening every day and laying out and letting you do your thing, man. That's what you do. But today I had to, had to grab a vine because I'm cracking up. We, watching, watching LeBron in Cleveland for all those years, it just it blows my mind. That guy's ego just will not get out of his – he can't get out of his own way. I would have to watch this guy walk straight past guys like Kyle Korver, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Love to shoot technical free throws. Like, last time I checked, anybody on the floor can shoot a tech. Anybody you want. And this guy, I mean, 73.5% 
a career free throw shooter. The guy is, it's the one thing he can't do on the basketball court, but chooses to do I, it. Just, it used to drive me absolutely insane. And I, watching him just dribble the spalding off the ball every night and chuck up threes, like you were saying, it's just, it is the funniest thing watching it from all the way over here on Cleveland, man. And so I just wanted to give you a holler. And uh, I'm wishing him the best of luck, man. I appreciate all the, everything he's done for the city of Cleveland, city of Akron, and uh, all, the, all the goodwill he's done here. But uh, you know, the whole basketball IQ thing, man, I, it, it drives me up a wall. It, it, it absolutely drives me crazy because I just I, I respectfully have to disagree. Well, let me jump in, Matt. First of all, I appreciate you, Matt. Thank you. I'm glad you finally got it done, finally got up in here. I, I respectfully disagree with you disagreeing with me. LeBron's got a genius basketball IQ. He does. He does. Tom in Boston. Hey, Tom, how are you? What's up? Thanks for the buying, Jim. i got to uh, wonder if I'm the only one that thought that Wendy being in France for the most lamest interview in that lottery, I hope he was on vacation. I just can't imagine ESPN with their downsizing flying his ass out to France for the 45-second interview to have him say, I want to win as soon as possible. I'm a team player. And I feel bad for Wendayama going over to San Antonio because I've had enough of pop with all these NBA coaches getting fired. How long does he get to hang on? These elite coaches, you're elite when you got good players. That's it. Pop hasn't won. And he's, think about Kerr. Kerr didn't win when he had players. They're at the bottom of the pile. And he can just continue on with his left-wing political rants. I've had enough of his garbage and him bad-mouthing reporters on interviews. So I hope Pops gets his ass kicked and they get rid of him next. And by the way, the Lakers, they're done. That was their best shot last night. Everybody played pretty well. Hachimaro played well. Davis put up 40. LeBron just bricked it up. But not only his bad three-pointers that you referenced, but two missed free throws. He had a turnover late in the game. And he had another bad miss in the lane. So uh, that's why he's not the GOAT and MJ is the GOAT. That was a classic LeBron meltdown uh, in the fourth quarter. But this series is over. I mean, good luck hyping it up. That was the Lakers' best shot. And uh, Denver handled it. And it's, it's over. My man. Nice job, Tom. Let me jump in. Good job. Appreciate you. I had to laugh. You're like, good luck hyping it up, Rome. It's over. Joe Varden is my guest. Joe, it is great to have you on. How you doing, Joe? Jim, last night I was sitting at a bar here in Boston uh, after the Red Sox game watching the Lakers, and the request to do the show came through, and I immediately showed it via text to my buddies who I grew up with uh, in suburban Seatown. And, like, this is like like a big deal for all of us. We were at the 2000 tour stop uh, at – Lots of music just north of Akron. Wow, dude. And and my my one boy, he says – the Jim Rome show appearing there is better than winning a Pulitzer. So here I am. Holy crap, Joe. That is incredible. <laughs> that is absolutely amazing, man. I am so hyped that you shared that story, man. Thank you so much. I can't believe you were a Blossom. I've always said about Blossom, Joe, that I saw bugs that night. They were, they were like pterodactyls, man. Was that normal? <laughs> I could not, but what a great venue that was. But man, I have never seen insects that large. 
They're called mayflies, and they show up in June, which is when that tour stop was. And, yeah, if you're not careful, they'll swallow you whole. Oh, you are the best. I'm so glad you reset that. Joe Varden is joining us. I appreciate that, and I appreciate you coming on. Let me ask you about that. You mentioned the Western Conference Finals. Game one, it looked like it was going to be an absolute curb stomping by the Nuggets, only to have the Lakers storm back. They had a legitimate look late before they came up short. What were your biggest takeaways from that game? My biggest takeaway is that the Lakers played defense as though it was the players' call. They, like, almost like Darwin gave them room to defend in game one how they wanted to. And I'm looking at Anthony Davis. You know, he would prefer to be somebody who roves on the back, back end and protect the rim. Um, and he gave Joker a lot of room. I suspect in game two that they will defend how Darwin wants them to. And you will see more of a one-on-one between Anthony and, and Nikola Jokic. I just thought, if you, if you look at LeBron, like at no point did he look upset. Did, uh, he, he just he looked like he was understanding what was happening. And I think he feels good about this series. We're talking to Joe Varden. You know, you mentioned Joker. This isn't exactly breaking news, but you've covered the sport for a long time. Personally, I've never seen anybody this guy's size with such an unbelievable and diverse skill set. Have you ever seen anybody or anything like Joker? Well, no, I haven't. And it's funny, this morning uh, at the Heat shoot-around, I was talking to uh, my old buddy Kevin Love about this. And he's saying that they're just, you know, that there's been comparisons to, like, Bill Walton. But Bill Walton can't, could never pull up from 30 feet and drain threes. Like, right. there's no, you know, when you talk about what do you do to get the ball out of, out of the Joker's hands, I mean, you could blitz him, but he's almost seven feet tall. He can see over you, and he, he, he throws passes without looking. So th- there isn't really a comparison to him. He's like Larry Bird, except way bigger <laughs> and more of a rebounder. Um, and, you know, I mean, he's obviously he's, he's the best player in the league right now. I think that's a great comp. He is like Larry Bird, only much bigger and a much better rebounder. Joe Varden joining us. Joe, you've got a great piece up right now on The Athletic about the coaching carousel in the NBA. Like, what in the world is going on right now? Why are so many elite coaches getting fired? Well, this is, in a way, like, you could look at it. We could have a scenario that before the summer even begins, so even before June 21st or whatever, that these four big names, Doc, Nick Nurse, Bud, and, and Monty Williams, they could actually replace each other in the jobs they got fired from. And so you could ask the question, well, if, if they're good enough for these other high-profile teams with stars, why weren't they good enough to stay where they are? And I just, in the piece, I, I use this to point to, I think, a deeper problem that – too few coaches in the league have virtually any support from their front offices. And it, that is manifesting itself in this player empowerment movement that has gone too far. Too many times players uh, have gotten so much power within their own teams and own organizations that they can be disruptive. And, and I think part of that is that the most coaches in the league just don't have the respect in the locker room that they deserve. There's really only three or four coaches in the league who have it. Certainly Spo, certainly Steve Kerr, certainly Pop. And then the fourth guy would probably be Michael Malone in Denver, who's been there eight years. But he was fired from his previous job the year before. So 
you know, three coaches for sure, and I think that that is part of this whole issue of, of players being able to be as disruptive as they've been. We are talking to Joe Varden. You know, Joe, to that point, like, what about Doc? So Doc is the fall guy in Philly, and, of course, his numbers are well chronicled. All the Game 7 losses, the series leads that have been blown. But in your opinion, he's the guy that takes the fall. Was he to blame, or is it on Joel Embiid and James Harden? Yeah, I mean <laughs> – I, I would tend to fall on the side of the players have to go out and make the plays. Um, I just, you know, watching the, that series, and then I covered last year Heat Sixers, and, and James, he didn't, shoot, he didn't shoot the ball in the second half of the deciding game at game six. And then you think about the year before that uh, was in the game seven against the Hawks is when Ben Simmons refused to shoot in the fourth quarter, and he ended up, he never played for the Sixers again. So, you know, as you said, Jim, and we all know that Doc has a track record that's not great in the playoffs, especially in these game sevens. He's lost 10. No one's lost that many. But if you look in each year, there are these circumstances that are beyond the coach's control. And then when you think about, like, how much Joel was comfortable with, with Doc and how he wanted Doc there in Philadelphia in the first place, they bring him in, and Joel proceeds to have the three best years of his career, two MVP runner-ups, and then this year he wins it. He's, he's back-to-back NBA scoring champ. I mean, Doc did what he has done his entire career, both positive and negative. And I just, you know, it's interesting that he's fired now as though, like, it's his fault that they didn't make it. Well, they haven't gotten past the second round at any point in, in decades, regardless of, of who is, uh, of, of who's their coach. So I just think that the NBA would do well to have a little bit more patience with some of these guys. Joe Varden is joining us. So Joe, where do you come out on this? Adam Silver said he was quote shocked by the video of John Morant. So right before you came on, Joe, I was talking about how like the dumbest thing ever to me just got even dumber than it was. And probably you doing what you do, you see a lot of this too. No sooner than I do this whole take or rant on John Morant, (laughs) immediately people start coming at me hard with what did he really do? What did he really do? He's not arrested. He's not in handcuffs. There are no court dates. What did he really do that was so wrong? This after I already gave my 10-minute take on that. So let me get your thoughts. Where do you come out on that? Well, I think there's some nuance here. Um, I think that if you're talking about America, where we are today, and with guns, and this is a very sensitive subject, I'll try to be as sensitive as I can, um, Ja probably isn't getting the leeway that some of his fellow citizens get, and that includes lawmakers in the state of Texas and who, or in, of Tennessee, excuse me, where he lives, and those who represent the state of Tennessee in the United States Congress. I mean, th- th- this is a, a sort of a you know a gun supportive country, and especially in Tennessee, that is true. Um, so you could say, well, he was in this car and there was nobody else around. And, and you know, it's a, it's, that's even a state where you're, you're not even prosecuted uh, if you have a, a firearm without a permit. So what did he do? Well, where, there's two things that get lost here. Even gun, gun owners, responsible gun, or, gun owners, don't like it when there's somebody basically spinning one around on its finger or dancing around in a car like he appeared to be. I mean, that, that is dangerous and it gives gun owners uh, a bad look. But then, more broadly, the NBA is a private organization. 
And, you know, you have to play by the NBA's rules uh, if you want to work there. You know, they, they can't put you in jail. He didn't do anything wrong, didn't violate any laws. Um, but you have to do what they want from their employees if you want to work there. And, you know, the, I thought Adam obviously was aghast by this. And it is a bad look. And this is not something that the NBA supports in any way, shape, or form. And that is where Jaws run afoul. I mean, he has embarrassed the league twice by doing this and putting it on his own or his friend's social media. And I think you add that all up, and that is how he's getting himself into the kind of trouble that he's getting himself into. I think that's extremely well said, and that's where I come out, and that's effectively what I said, but not as well as you just said it, Joe. I appreciate that, and I, you and I are on the same page. Joe, one last thought. You mentioned the Heat. So the Celtics and the Heat get after it again in the Eastern Conference Finals. The Celtics are pretty heavy favorites, but as we know, as long as playoff Jimmy is in the building, anything can happen. How do you see that series playing out? So yesterday I did two things. I did the doc story, and then I also sat down to do a kind of a roundtable preview of the series. And when I sat down, I was sure that the Boston Celtics are going to win this, and they're going to win going away, that an eight seed can only go so far, and this has got to end. Um, But as I answered question by question and started to think about the actual matchup, there is a scenario where this series is really close, like – Jimmy Butler at the top of the key, one three-pointer to win it in a game seven kind of close, which is what we had last year. Um, The Heat are playing together. They have a good bench. You know, it's a short rotation, but it's good. Uh, Eric Spolstra is probably the best coach in the NBA right now or, or right up there. And there is the Jimmy factor. You know, if a couple things go their way, if Max Struess continues to shoot the three ball like he's been in the playoffs, especially on the road, he's a 41% three-point shooter on the road, um, and the Celtics just make that mistake or two that cost them against the Hawks, cost them against the Sixers, then, yeah, Jimmy Butler is, is in a spot where he can take over a game or two or four, and that's enough to win a series. So I do have the Celtics moving on to the finals. I do have them in six. But you can see a path where this gets very close. Hey, Joe, not to get greedy with your time, but I'm having so much fun talking to you. One thought about Spo, and I'll let you go, because you yeah. just made the point that Spo might be the best coach in the NBA, and I don't think you're wrong. I think this guy is an incredible coach. When you go back to when Pat Riley selected him and pulled him out of, I don't want to say the video room, but do you think Pat Riley knew? What did Riley know at that time? And did you at that time, did you think this guy would ever, ever materialize and turn into the incredible head coach that he is? I mean, <laughs> when this... <laughs> Around those times, I was covering politics, I think, at, at the Toledo Blade or, or Columbus Dispatch. So that's how far back Bolstra goes. I think Pat had a belief in himself and a belief in the culture that he had set in Miami. And he knew that Spolstra would work so hard and be in such lockstep with that culture that this could work. Pat knew that he would throw the full weight of his legacy behind Spo. And it worked. It worked from the perspective of when they brought the Heatles to town, when they brought in LeBron and they brought in Chris Bosh. LeBron and Chris couldn't, couldn't quite push Bolstra around because Pat was behind him. And as they got through that and they won, um, and then after they won and LeBron came back to Cleveland, instead of 
rebuilding. They, they stayed the course. They played with the guys that they had, and that further empowered Spolstra. And now, you know, he doesn't even – he doesn't need Pat's backing. Like, Pat's there. He's still always there, and it's an incredible force. But Spolstra is the boss of that team. You even saw it when he, when he stood up to Jimmy in that heated uh, argument they had before the playoffs last season. Um, and he's guided them through another tough regular season, and here he is again. So it's a remarkable story, but it's just an example of what we were talking about earlier, Jim, where if you empower these guys and you empower the right guy, um, it can have decades-long benefits for your organization. All right, so there's a great piece up right now. Joe Varden wrote it for The Athletic about coaching and the coaching carousel. That right there is an awesome, awesome conversation. He is a senior writer for The Athletic. Joe Varden, my guest. Joe, how we didn't do this sooner, I have no idea, but so great to have you on the show, man. I appreciate you so much. That was so much fun. Oh, I loved it. Anytime. Good night now!